0: We're so glad that you've joined us this Memorial Day weekend. If we haven't met before, I'm Ashley, and I'm the lead pastor here. And we are in week two of a series called Waves. These are sound waves on the stage behind me because this series is all about faith, and faith comes by hearing. I want to get ready for your faith to grow as you listen today. Come on. I love our experience so far. I love our worship. I love that we got to celebrate baptism today with Monica. So proud of her, taking her next steps. Come on, thank you, Jesus. I hope you're having a great weekend and I am so excited for what we're talking about today. Uh, so three years ago, on Memorial Day, my husband and I went kayaking. And this is something we like to do from time to time. And on this particular day, we didn't start until 2 p.m. And the route that we like to go on, it's, it's 17 miles down Pine Creek in Pennsylvania. And there's some Class 3 rapids. It's really fun. Uh, but these 17 miles take six hours. So if you get started at 2, you'll get done at 8 if the water conditions are good. So (laughs) this particular day, it had not rained in a while. And my father-in-law is a park ranger, so we asked him, hey, how's the water table? You think we could kayak? And he's like, it's a little sketchy. You should be okay. You might have to walk a little bit. So we're like, okay, we can handle that. So we get out on the water, and within 30 minutes, we are walking in the creek, pulling our kayaks. And we do this for many miles. And by the time 8 p.m. rolls around, it's pitch black out. And it's a cloudy night, so there's no moon, there's no stars. And we still have three miles to go. (laughs) And this whole time, my mom had been watching our children. They were littler at the time. Um, And I was like, oh, no, if we don't come back in time, we said we'd be back by dark. If we don't come back in time, she's going to call the police. She's going to call search and rescue. Like, she's going to send people out looking for us. We got to go. So we are like, okay, it's dark. You know what? Let's just ditch the kayaks and let's get on the path that runs next to the creek. So that's what we did. Um, We hid the kayaks so we could come back for them later, and we start walking on this path in the dark. And we could not see anything. My husband had his cell phone which really did no good because there's no cell service in the middle of nature. Um, But we did have his flashlight, so we could see just a tiny bit in front of us. If you've ever shown a flashlight in the middle of darkness, it doesn't really go that far. So we start walking on the path, and we're like, this is gonna take too long. We've gotta get there now. So we start running on the path. And we can't see around the corner. We don't know what's next, but we keep running. And finally, we get to the first mile marker. And i was like are you kidding me i thought we'd be done by now (laughs) so then we keep running and we run to the next mile marker okay mile two one mile left to go and we keep running finally we get to mile three which i'm like wow i did not know i was gonna run a 5k today (laughs) shout out to all the wine glass runners um so we're out there running and we finally get to our truck we drive home we pick up the kids, and I'm like, Mom, I'm so sorry I are late. She's like, I wasn't worried. I knew you'd be back eventually. like, well, we just ran three miles, so you wouldn't be worried, so you're welcome. (laughs) Now, what if we would have just sat down on the path and waited for the sun because we couldn't see all the steps in front of us? That would have been ridiculous. We would have been miserable. We would have been cold, definitely hungry. People would have been out looking for us, and we would have been surrounded by the sounds of the forest. We knew we were moving in the right direction, so it didn't matter that we could only see a few feet ahead. You don't have to see the whole path to take the first step. You only need to see a little bit. Come on. You only need a little light on your path. It didn't matter we couldn't see around every turn. In fact, if we could have seen the whole thing, like if we had a bird's-eye view of all those miles, we probably would have been intimidated by the journey. Like. Our truck is that far away, oh man, I'm glad we couldn't see, so that we, we were running and we knew we were running in the right direction. In life, too many of us hesitate to begin because we can't see the whole journey. We can't see the end of the path. But you don't have to know the whole plan to be able to take a step. You don't have to see the whole path. You just have to see the one step in front of you. 2 Corinthians 5.7 says, We walk by faith, not by sight. If we could see everything, it wouldn't be faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. The nature of faith is that it is evidence of what's not seen. There's so many things in life. If we could see the whole journey, we would not get started. Some of us are waiting to be 100% sure of everything before we take any step. We think about, who am I going to marry? Is this person 100% perfect? Oh, no, they're human. They have flaws. (laughs) We're like, is this the perfect job? Is this the right major? I don't want to choose incorrectly. Or we're like, where should I live? Should I buy this house? I don't know, so much stress and pressure. You don't have to have everything 100% figured out to take a step of faith. In fact, come on. I would like to propose to you that you only need to have 51% faith, that you're 51% sure, more than half certain. If we were 100% sure of everything, we wouldn't need faith. We'd be in heaven and everything would be re- revealed to us. First Corinthians 13:12 says, Now we see only a reflection, as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So right now, we only see a part of the path, but it's enough to get started. And there's a reason we only see part of the path. We don't need to see the whole thing. If you're 51% sure of your next step, that's enough faith. Don't sit on the path and wait for everything to be revealed to you in heaven. Take the step. Psalm 16:11 says, "You have made known to me the path of life. You'll fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand." When you trust in Jesus, it's like you're on a brand new path. God is pleased with you because of Jesus. You have right standing with God because of Jesus. You're already on the path of life. Take the step. Rest in the identity that you have because of Jesus and walk confidently and joyfully on your path. Come on, you're on the path. Take the step. Psalm 37, 23 says, the Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. So your steps on that path, they're on a firm foundation. He keeps your foot from slipping. You take a step and he makes it firm. He directs and he protects you on the path as you delight in him. I love that part of the verse. He makes firm our steps of the one who delights in him. Do you know God wants us to delight in him? He's amazing. If your next step lines up with God's word, Psalm one nineteen one oh five 105 and 133 says, Your word is a light to my path. Just like that flashlight. A light to my path. Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. His word lights up your path. And no place that you miss the mark can keep you stuck on the path. Sometimes we're waiting to hear from God, and God's like, I already spoke to you. You have the Bible. He's already given us his word. We're like, I don't know. I think I should just pray about it. You know, it sounds really spiritual. But when we pray about something that he already said, we're just delaying our journey. We're later and later on the path. For example, if you know that you've trusted in jesus and you're ready to get baptized baptism is your next step the bible says no matter how old or how young you are you don't have to pray about it god says it you can take that step confidently come on i've never met anyone who's taken a step of faith and regretted it and i doubt you have either when we take a step of faith we're confident romans 8 15, 16 says this resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with a child like, what's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we are. We know who he is and we know who we are, father and children. I love this. Our life is not a timid life of standing still and waiting for heaven. It's an adventure with God. It's a faith adventure. And on an adventure, you don't know 100% what's going to happen. That's what makes it exciting. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. And it's an adventure with God. We can trust him to guide us. It's like a child trusts their parents. Whenever I have my kids in the car, they ask me, where are we going, Mom? And I tell them, and they're excited. They're like, let's go. I trust you. When our kids take their first steps, they step into our waiting arms. They trust that we will be with them as they walk, we'll catch them when they stumble, and we will celebrate their baby steps. Children trust because they have no past experiences that have taught them to be afraid. They might fall down a lot, but they keep looking at their parents and they keep stepping forward. Come on. They keep stepping forward, forward in faith. They have no conditions on their trust like we do. They have no preconceived notions. They don't argue. They don't have logic that's standing in their way. And this is how God wants us to approach Him. Not holding back. Completely vulnerable. Completely trusting. Arms open like a child. Where are you trusting God like that? Where are you trusting Him to catch you? Where are you trusting Him for your next step where you don't know everything that's going to happen but you're trusting Him by faith? Jesus said in Matthew 18, 4, anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. If you want to be great, be humble like a child. And being humble just means being fully dependent on God. Not self-reliant, but God-reliant. Come on, and the child that this verse is talking about, it's saying anyone under seven. So a child who just doesn't know any better yet, before we learn better, before we know better, before we know what we're doing, where we just trust and when we really know how to dream. My son, Ryder, is four, and he was telling me the other day he wants to go to the moon one day. He doesn't know that only 1% of people who apply to NASA's space program get accepted. He doesn't know that only 12 people in history have been to the moon and walked on it. He doesn't know that there's not like weekly trips to the moon. It doesn't happen that often. Now, maybe he won't go to the moon when he grows up, but right now, I love encouraging him to dream big. Come on. Now, I do need to say with this, obviously, don't lie to your kids. If they're like, I want to be a singer when I grow up, and they're 15 and they can't sing, just tell them the truth, okay? love them enough to do that? If your kids wanna date someone, if your grown child's like, oh, I'm in love with this person, but they don't give me the time of day. In fact, they don't even like me. In fact, they told me to stay away. Don't encourage them to keep (laughs) pursuing that person, okay? But if it's something that could happen with ridiculous faith, then believe big. We love to dream, but if we don't take steps of faith towards those dreams, will be stuck on our path. A dream remains a dream until you pursue it during your daily life. The daily things that you do, they determine whether your dreams become a reality. Dreams seem impossible until they're not. Imagine it's 1979 and I come up to you and I'm like, One day, there's going to be this device that you can put in your pocket, and you can use it to call anyone. In fact, you can use it to take pictures of people. It's like a camera as well. You can use it to send email. I mean, you don't know what that is yet, but you can do so many things with it. It's going to be called a cell phone. You're going to be like, "Mm, I don't know if I believe that. Or imagine it's in the deep south, in the 1950s and 60s, Martin Luther King his dream of a future in which people were not judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character, it seemed impossible given the state of our nation. You look around and churches were segregated, but he believed anyway. I love that we are living in his dream realized at Hope Church, come on, that we have every tribe, every tongue, every nation, that we are multicultural, come on. Imagine it's 1899. You're getting ready to get on a train to go see your cousin across the country. And I'm like, hey, in a few years, there's going to be this train you could fly on in the air called an airplane. You'd be like, yeah, impossible. Now I was telling my kids about all those things, and they're like, that seems impossible. <laughs> Luke 1.37 says, for with God, nothing will be impossible. And then Mark 9.23, anything is possible if a person believes nothing is impossible with God and anything is possible to those who believe. I want to ask you today, what's impossible or illogical or hard to imagine for your life? What have you labeled impossible? What have you put in a box and put up on a shelf and said, that can't happen? Forgiving the person who hurt you? Maybe paying off your six-figure mortgage Maybe being sober for 10 years when you're like, I can't even imagine being sober for a day. What's impossible? Your entire family trusting in Jesus? Your mom being healed of cancer? Or finding out that you're pregnant after years of infertility? It's only impossible until it happens. And nothing is impossible with God. Come on. Every big dream starts with a small step. But we get frustrated with the small step. We get frustrated when we haven't arrived. We get frustrated in our humanity, in our limitations. But God doesn't. He says in Zechariah 4.10, do not despise this small beginning, for the eyes of the Lord rejoice to see the work begin. God loves small starts. He rejoices at small beginnings. Like, we rejoice when our kids take baby steps. They take a half a step, and we get out our phone. We're like, this is amazing. It's life-changing. No one's ever taken a step before in the history of humanity. Get in here, everybody. We're so proud of them. And we should be. We celebrate them. But when was the last time that you celebrated a step that you took? What if the next time you start something, you celebrate the start, not just the dream realized? God loves acts of faith. Come on. God loves small starts. So let's start small and celebrate. Start small. One of our teenagers was sharing this week how they started to tithe and everyone at their work got a raise this week too. We celebrate their small start. Come on, start small. Maybe the next time you and your spouse are having a really intense discussion, instead of falling into the pattern that you always do, you stop and pray together because it's hard to fight with each other when you're also talking to Jesus. <laughs> celebrate that small start. Start small. It could be being obedient to the small voice that you hear in your head in the line of the drive through saying, pay for their food and invite them to Hope Church. Celebrate that step. Start small. Apply to night school and celebrate. Just the application part, not even getting in. Celebrate your small start. Start small. Write a letter to the parent that you haven't talked to in years and celebrate that, no matter what the result is. Get started and celebrate the step. And when you do get started, involve God in your starts. Come on. In 2 Kings 3, there are these three kings, the king of Israel, king of Judah, king of Edom. They got together and they're going to attack the Moabites, their enemies. So they come up with this grand plan. They're gonna march through the desert. Not a good idea. The Bible says that they wander around for seven days and they drink up all of their water. We're not surprised. So they get the prophet Elijah to inquire of God. They're like, This is a problem. We need God's help. They set out on the journey by themselves, but when they ran into trouble, they remember to involve God. Isn't that so relatable? How many times do we just start on something and then we're like, oh, shoot, God, I need your help. (laughs) God wants to be involved in every mundane decision of our lives, not just the crises. Come on, in him we live and move and have our being. He wants to be involved in every detail, not just as our last resort, but as our first priority. Come on. Just before Jay and I got married, about 16 years ago, he had purchased a car, and like a month later, he totaled it. So he was driving in the rain, going around a corner, and rolled it several times. And he was totally fine, which is awesome. He walked away great. The car, not so much. He had had some goulash in it that some sweet lady had given him that was all spattered over the interior. When the police came, they're like, are you okay? Did you throw up? Looks rough in there. He's like, no, I didn't. So he totaled his car. He had paid for it with cash, and we only had a collision insurance on it. So we're like, okay, you know, should we get a loan now? He needs a car for college, and we could carpool for a little bit, but that won't work long term. And someone challenged us to trust God with the need instead, to trust God first. Instead of just going to do what we would do in our own logic, and our own ideas, they said, why don't you pray about it? So we're like, okay, let's do it. And we prayed for a while. I would say probably for several months. And in the meantime, we carpooled together. And one day, someone gave us a car. That's so cool. That's how God works. We did not ask them for it. We did not pay them for it. But God knew our need. We asked him, and he provided. In the following years, when it was time to upgrade from that car because we were having a baby, we gave that car to someone else in need. Rather than sell it and build our kingdom, we're like, God, who has a need around us that we could now bless? In fact, we've been able to give away two cars in the the course of our marriage that we didn't need. We didn't need to build our kingdom. We wanted to build God's kingdom. We didn't want to go by our logic, but by his logic, because what he does is so much bigger and better than what we could imagine. Whatever need you have, Whatever plans that you're making, involve God in them. His plans are so much better than our plans anyway. Isaiah 55, 8 says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. He's got the bird's eye view. We trust him. We think about what's in front of us, and he's thinking beyond what we can see. He's thinking the whole picture. Let's look back at our story. So we've got the three kings. They finally involve God in their plans when they run out of water. Uh, Verse 16 says, thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches, for thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind nor rain, yet the valley shall be filled with water so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. So they're like, we're thirsty. God says, dig a ditch. Dig a ditch and the valley will be filled with water. It was hot out, they're in a desert. The guys are parched, and God says, Dig ditches in the desert. Dig ditches in your hard season. He told them to dig, and he didn't tell them when he was going to send the water. Their belief big was water in the desert, and their small start was simply to dig. Dig the ditch so you can receive the water. God wants to expand your capacity so that you can receive what he has for you. If your capacity is being stretched right now, God is getting you ready for bigger things. Come on, keep digging. Now some of the guys in the camp were probably asking, did God really say to dig a ditch? I mean, I don't know, it seems kind of weird. I'm not 100% sure. I've never heard of him saying that before in the Bible. But if you're 51% sure, dig the ditch so you can receive the water. He gives according to our capacity to receive. Too much water would have flooded the valley. If they didn't have those ditches, too much water, it would have killed them. God gives according to our ability to steward without being crushed by our blessings. That's why you shouldn't be jealous of other people. You have a different capacity than the person next to you. Thank you, Jesus, that he doesn't trust you with what he's trusting them with. Maybe you were thinking of my car story and thinking like, oh, they must be rich giving away all these cars. We gave them away when I was working at a church for free and my husband was making 30,000 a year. It's possible with God. Come on. Our giving was expanding our capacity for God's future blessings. And your small start is expanding your capacity. Dig the ditches so that you can receive the water. God can't fill a ditch that's already full. He can't fill a ditch that's already maxed out. He can't give you more when you're already stressed about your kids and your job and everything he's blessed you with. He can't meet a need that you already met on your own. Create space for him by digging ditches. Right now, God is expanding my capacity as your leader. I'm digging ditches by seeking mentors and reading books and being stretched. (laughs) Believing big and starting small, come on. I am believing for God to do the impossible at our church that I cannot do, but I am doing the small start that I can do. Maybe in your marriage, it's time to dig ditches. Maybe you've been talking about going to couples counseling for a long time. Dig the ditch. This is your week. Take the step. You don't have to see the whole path to take the step. In your singleness, it's time to dig ditches. Enjoy the character work that God is doing in you during this season and partner with him to address the things that he wants to work in you. Dig the ditch that you can dig. At work, are you so busy that even if God gave you a promotion, you wouldn't be able to enjoy your life? Dig the ditch and set the boundaries in your schedule to prepare for what you've been praying for. What ditch and what small step have you been putting off that you can start today that you can start this Memorial Day weekend. Let's hop back over to 2 Kings 3.18. The prophet's like, dig the ditches. God will send the water. And then verse 18, this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will also, he will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. Come on. You just ask for the small need in front of you, just some water, just a cup of water to drink. But God's like, I'll do that, and I'm going to take care of your really big problem with the Moabites too. We think so small. We think, how can I get by? But that's not how God thinks. Remember, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. We're obsessing over the next step. I don't know if I should step. God's looking at the end from the beginning. He sees every step out in front of us. We think if I could just pay off my house, man, that would be big. But God says, that's too small. I wanna bless you so you can pay off not only your house, but you can help someone else pay off their house. That would be big. We think if I could just get that promotion to run my department, that would be huge. And God says, what if you ran the company? What if I wanted to give you so much influence for my kingdom that you ran your corporation? We think if I could just beat this illness, If I could just have one day without pain. God says not only are you going to get back on your feet, but you're going to feel better than you've ever felt. Even if you don't see a way, God has a way. You're on the path when you know Jesus. Don't stop. Don't give up. Keep going and trusting with childlike faith each step in front of you. God did not create you to live a little life of little goals, little dreams, and little passions. He thinks big. We think if I can just get through this week, I'll be happy. If I can just get to Memorial Day, then I'll be happy. As long as my kids grow up and are productive citizens, I'll be happy. If I can just get this one contract, I'll be set for life. But God is not a get by God. He wants you to thrive. He wants your life to overflow, to impact the people around you. Come on. This isn't just positive thinking. This is the Bible. It begins with small, faithful starts, next steps on your path. It begins with making your mortgage payments on time and then paying on the principal. It begins with being wholehearted at work. It begins with taking the supplements that keep you healthy or being present with your kids instead of on your phone so the Israelites they're digging the ditches they're doing their small start they're not waiting for God to bring the water they're doing what he told them to do they didn't sit down and just wait for the sun to rise 2nd Kings 3.20 says it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered that suddenly water came by the way of Edom and the land was filled with water I love this God provided the water The grain offering that they're talking about here, that was the worship offering. So in the morning when the people were worshiping, God was filling the land with water. God met the need while they worshiped, while they worshiped in the desert, while they worshiped and they couldn't see what God was going to do. They were trusting him in faith and worshiping while they waited. He responded to their worship. He was working while they were worshiping. We're going to talk about that next week. I hope you can join us for week three of Waves. It's going to be so good. Our next verse, 2 Kings 3.22 says, They rose up early in the morning, and the sun was shining on the water. And the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood. So the sunrise, is a, it's a red sun, and the water looks like blood. Verse 23, they said, This is blood. The kings of Shirley struck swords and killed one another. Now therefore, Moab, to the spoil! So when they came to the camp of Israel, Israel rose up and attacked the Moabites, so they fled before them, and they entered their land, killing the Moabites, killing their enemy. The Moabites, because of the water that looked like blood, they thought the Israelites had killed each other. So they put down their weapons, and they start running to go plunder the spoils. And they're met by soldiers who defeated them. I love it. God's strategy was way better than anything the kings could have come up with. He met their need for water, and he delivered their enemy into their hands at the same time. And he still does this today. Nothing is impossible for God, and nothing is impossible to those who believe.